0: So many illnesses are caused by central nervous system damage. Can a new method of non-invasive brain stimulation treat or cure disease? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, joining me to discuss non-invasive neuromodulation of the central nervous system, is senior scientist Yuri Danilov PhD of the Tactile Communication and Neural Rehabilitation Laboratory in the Department of Orthopedics and Rehabilitation Medicine in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Wisconsin Madison Dr Danilov welcome to Reach MD
1: Thank you Bruce
0: So you and your team have been working on a technology that goes all the way back 20 or 30 years. Tell us about how this all started.
1: Well, it started actually in the end of 60s when Paul Bakurita came up with the idea that brain is actually flexible and capable to changes. And the end of 60s, it was a heresy that nobody believed. And now, 40 years later, you can hear brain plasticity everywhere, from cellular and molecular biology to behavioral and psychology. So it's now it's a major concept how the brain works. So that started 40 years ago. And prove his idea the Paul Bakurita developed the concept of sensory substitution. So replace one missing sensory channel with another if it's have a normal natural input to the brain. So that's how he come up to replace any as a matter of fact, any sensory system with tactile sensations. So he developed for thirty years he developed this system for blind people and help people to see through the skin. And then in 68 he published the first paper when he designed a mechanical chair that allowed the blind subject to see from the output of a video camera and even recognize the human faces. Later, in 98 it was designed first electro-tactile stimulation of the tongue, a system that was much portable and was capable of repeat all results that Paul developed in the 60s and even move it much further. And right now, the, the, the current models of the electrotactile visual substitution system allow the people to recognize the letter charts, navigate in a street, in a room, to see the object, even uh, draw and read the letters and numbers.
0: And so when they're doing the sensory substitution, are you saying that they're actually seeing, they're just not using their eyes to see? Is that what's really going on?
1: Bruce, uh, you, you're provoking me on a really... Uh long answer. But I try to be the brief. So I was visual neuroscientist for about 30 years. And when the poll first time suggested to me to study vision through the tongue, my natural reaction was, what? And right now, the 10 years later, I'm traveling around the globe and convincing my former colleagues that it is vision through the tongue. But look itself, if you look even on a PBS clip on a video materials that published on the web about the blind subject behavior, you can see that they presenting the natural visually guided behavior from one side. From another side, we have evidence from fMRI and PET research that during the after training with this device, people activating the visual areas, almost all visual areas of the brain. So you have, a, from one side, you have a visual guided behavior. From another, you have a visual brain activated to analyze this information. What it is if it's not vision? We probably don't have another vocabulary, another word for that. But before that, we only word that describes the process is a vision. Instead of visual information going not through the eye, but through the tongue.
0: And so what you're saying is this visual information comes in through the tongue, and instead of just going to the spots in the brain that tongue normally innervates, it's also lighting up the parts of the brain that the eyes would normally innervate even though the patient is blind.
1: Exactly. It means that the brain use full capacity of visual analysis mechanisms that dispersed in the visual areas to analyze information from the tongue. That's the most mysterious part of all this research because it's happened almost immediately. So somehow the brain knows how to switch information and where to send it for analysis.
0: And is this true in patients that were seeing and then became blind, or is this actually true for patients who had never had any sight through their eyes?
1: Well, it's working equally well on congenitally blind people and people who lost the vision later. Of course, the people who already had a visual experience, it's much more easy to work with image recognition because I can give you examples. So when we just started the first experiment and I showed a patient donut, let's say, some toroid on the wall, and the people who already have a visual experience, they easily can identify it as a donut, let's say. But people who are congenitally blind have to touch it physically by hand before they realize that it's a donut.
0: And- So now you've switched your focus from vision substitution to treating other diseases of the brain using technology that started in this vision substitution. So tell us a little about what's going on with that.
1: Well, during the study of the sensory substitution, our next step after vision was a balance. And we started to develop a vestibular substitution system to see if concept is working and have to work equally well on the balance affected patients. And as a matter of fact, in the last eight years, we moved from the very simple model, like people who have a peripheral vestibular loss because of autotoxic reaction on antibiotics. So it was scientifically very clean model when the people lost just peripheral sensory cells, but brain structure was intact. And when we got the first success there, we moved forward to people with central balance disorder and figure out that it's working equally well. And then we did the next step. We start to look on a population who have a balance disorder as a secondary to something else, like traumatic brain injury, stroke, Parkinson, and multiple sclerosis. And we have a very positive preliminary data and very inspiring experimental results showing that we can help with this population as well. So then we ask our questions: What actually we're doing? And it looks like what our technology is doing is a universal brain stimulator. It's not specialized on the one specific target. It's not specialized on the one specific brain structure. Instead of that, it creates pretty dispersed stimulation that help the brain be more sensitive to other rehabilitation therapies. For example, if we're working with a balance-affected patient and we train them to stand still or the walk straight, and in the same time we will stimulate the tongue, we will create opportunity to improve the function that's related to balance and walking. If we're talking about the Parkinson patient, if we will stimulate the tongue and simultaneously will do exercise on the hand, we will improve circuitry that is responsible for hand control, and so on and so on. So that's a combination of the engineering approach to the very sophisticated device, training regimen that's absolutely necessary, because you know the major principle of the brain, use it to lose it. So we have to use and exercise functions that is missing or malfunctioning together with tongue stimulation. Then we will get the, the positive effect.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and joining me to discuss non-invasive neuromodulation of the central nervous system is senior scientist Yuri Danilov, Ph.D., of the Tactile Communication and Neurorehabilitation Laboratory at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So you're saying that it's a combination of this electrical stimulation of the tongue at the same time people are doing physical therapy and other kinds of manual training and those two things done together help each other to cure these diseases?
1: Yes, indeed. It's interesting phenomena happening right now in neurorehabilitation science. More and more people understand that it's not very good to treat brain without body or to do rehabilitation of the body without head, without brain. So the brain and body have to both simultaneously recover, interactively recover. And it's, it's very interesting that exactly what we're observing. The, the best effect we can see when you combine the brain stimulation with physical
0: therapy. So, what do you think is going on with the electrical stimulation in the brain from a physiological and anatomical basis in the brain? What's happening when you're stimulating the tongue?
1: When we're stimulating the tongue, we produce massive spike trains that coming from the tip of the tongue through two cranial nerves, trigeminal and facial. To the central structure of the brainstem, Nucleus tra- tractus solitarius and trigeminal nuclear complex. During this summer, we have very good evidence in the fMRI imaging recording showing that after five days of CNN therapy, the human brain showing the changes of act- long lasting changes of activity in the dorsal part of the brainstem and the pons, in the medulla, it's lower part that interface, with the spinal cord and cerebellum. All three centers are deeply involved in the movement control. So as a first step, and that's what we've verified already, it's activation of these three structures. What's happening on the next step is much more, let's say, undiscovered because, let's say, the nuclei complex directly linked to the thalamus and uh, the so-called trigeminal thalamic pathways. So, activity from the snookle go through the trigeminothalamic pathway to the thalamus. And that's how we see its might affect the, the, the Parkinson patient, for example, because it's a direct projection from. Nuclei were activating in the brain stem to the thalamus. And it's just a small fragment of the anatomy. If you open anatomy book, you can see how deeply these structures, trigeminal nuclei and solitarius and vestibular nuclei complex, involved in the many, many aspects of the, the brain function, starting from cognitive malfunction to endocrine release, balance control. Autonomic responses and so on
0: Now, when you do this treatment to patients, does it only last during the time of the treatment or does it endure beyond the treatment, and what kind of cumulative effect does it have
1: well it 's actually an excellent question because the major striking result of this therapy is that it's not only working when device in the mouse but the effects continue after the device is removed from the mouse. So the patient experience at least in the beginning on the first days of therapy experience long lasting effects that continue from one, two hours, up to 24 hours after first training session. And in the patients that we uh, observed so far, and so far around the globe, we have a few hundred patients who already tried this therapy. The pattern is approximately the same. For the people who have a balance disorder, especially peripheral or central, it's cumulative effect. The first patient that we started work with in 2004, she was completely recovered after two and a half years of therapy. And we have about five patients like her with completely different vestibular disorders. But after a couple years of therapy, they completely recovered. And they don't need a device anymore. Other people, like traumatic brain injury patient, it's the only patient I personally worked with, was using device about two years, and he's still progressively recovering. So maybe it took another few years until it will go to plateau. So we have a definitely have a cumulative effect of this therapy.
0: I would like to thank my guest, senior scientist Yuri Danilov, PhD, of the Tactile Communication and Neuro Rehabilitation Laboratory in the Department of Orthopedics and Rehabilitation Medicine in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Wisconsin Madison for joining me to discuss non invasive neuromodulation of the central nervous system. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and our podcast, visit www.reachmd.com. For comments or questions, call us toll-free at 888-639-6157. And thank you for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals.